This podcast is proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm the guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've uh, spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, uh, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle please get in touch with us on our facebook page follow us like us whatever it takes we would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as i know this industry is capable of Good day, everybody. It's uh, Doc Doug Mateus, and uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Doc and the Guru podcast. Uh, as uh, as is the norm, and I guess around the world, we're in social isolation or social distancing, uh, as per the government of many countries, including South Africa. And uh, Gordon, you're on the other side of the line. How's it going? Okay, going well. It's uh, progressing towards my. Uh Lockdown Comrades Marathon, as we spoke about, and uh, but looking forward to chatting this morning to Arthur Goldstuck, who is the Managing Director of Worldwide Works and Editor-in-Chief of Gadget. But I think, generally speaking, he is the, the gold standard when it comes to commentary on digital media and just digital landscape in South Africa. So, Arthur, thank you so much for making the time for us this morning. Thanks, Gordon. Thanks for those kind words. So, without further ado, um, let me just ask you, and to a degree, whilst this is our nightmare and lockdown uh, and all the restrictions it places on us, as the digital guru, um, this must be manna from heaven from you. You must have more stuff to talk about and do than, than at, at any stage ever. I hate to say this, uh, Gordon, but I've never been busier. And the reality is that this is a world that we've been arguing for not in terms of the virus and lockdown, but in terms of the tools that organizations should be using. For at least the past decade, uh, video conferencing is a, a really old story for us, and we felt that we were beating a drum and almost on a crusade all the years. In the last three or four years, the story has been around digital transformation, which became a dirty phrase, actually. It became such a buzz phrase that people were embarrassed to use it. But the truth of digital transformation is that that is what enables companies to instantly transition into this world of remote working, remote collaboration, and managing all their operations remotely and 
in an automated fashion. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, uh, that you should talk about that. So, with respect to my doing my lockdown activities, we had uh, Discovery Vitality on at our last podcast, uh, and we were just talking about that. But for me, people say, how have you found the time? You know, I've suddenly realized I was spending four hours a day in traffic. The reason I've got time to run is, you know, I've saved four hours. It's, it's unbelievable the wastage uh, that was taking place, uh, you know, before we started using, you know, facilities, digital facilities. Doc, you, you, you're our digital, internal digital guru. You, you're working all the buttons and knobs at the moment. It's like a gigantic MOOC synthesizer that you're controlling there. Gordon, I've got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm just worried to make sure that I haven't pressed the wrong button. So I've actually got my hands <laughs> under my desk now. <laughs> you know, and, and I guess, you, you know, I guess, uh, and we joke a little bit, but I mean, I think that's the issue, isn't it? I mean, Arthur, you are one of those people who've been in the forefront of, of tech and a lot of people aren't. They're somewhere on the curve, you know. I, I, I myself, and I've spent a lot of time in, in cell phone networks, etc. But um you know, I don't, I've never seen myself as a, as a technical person. And I think, you know, we've seen the meme and we've heard the phrase and some of us are using the phrase myself, like I've always used it. It's, hey, listen, this hasn't been caused by your CEO, CTO. It's been caused by, by the virus. And I think you've been saying it for years now. If only those CEOs and chief digital officers had the gumption to get out and do it because now out of necessity, those companies have had to move. And the world has moved in a remarkable way very quickly into this whole digital landscape. That is so true. Part of the responsibility does lie with the organizations that were actually responsible or should have been responsible for taking us into this new world. And there I'm talking about the likes of internet service providers, mobile network operators, not throwing any shade at you, Doug, yeah. but... Um, even the banks, they are, they are all, um, they all represent the foundation of this new economy, this new work, world of work, but yet they have stuck to old ways of thinking doggedly. So you look, for example, at uh, billing and of management of your accounts, for example, and they specific to the, the cell phone networks. It's almost impossible to change your account or to alter your, uh, your modus operandi with an operator without jumping through massive hoops and engaging in tremendous paperwork. A great example is Telcom. Telcom actually has run ads for the past uh, decade or so about how they are, are enabling the future. But their customers are not experiencing that future in dealing directly with Telcom. And that's probably the most obvious example. The banks are the other uh, big example where they operate in such silos that if you want to apply for a new kind of account, it's almost as if they've never heard of you before and you've got to submit all your documentation, give all your details from scratch. Whereas it should really be a case of uh, dropping down a menu and making a selection of what account you want to open and everything is linked, everything's connected, it's all digital. So it would take a few seconds. Instead, these are processes that can take from hours to weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And it's crazy. And I think, Arthur, if you don't mind, if I could just quote you on a recent article that you wrote, and I'm going to read, that the pandemic paralyzes the old order, but the new order is ready. You also speak about, and I think what I'm hearing here, is that old school businesses, the big telcos, the banks, and all of those are about managing people versus business outcomes. Am I right in summing, summing it up that way? 
That's absolutely correct. The big issue for many organizations is that they want to see their people at the desk rather than see what their people do or produce. So it's more important that the individual follows a, a procedure that is all about managing of the people rather than that they pursue a goal which is all about business outcomes. And I mean, I just hope that, you know, through this time, Gordon, and, and, and if you can come in, you know, through this change of behavior, albeit artificially, I'm hoping, Arthur, that a lot of this behavior sticks now, that, you know, senior leaders, and I call them leaders, but more correctly, probably micromanagers, can now actually loosen the reins a bit and say, listen, you don't have to click, uh, you know, click your card every day to open the turnstiles. You can actually work, uh, and I trust you because I'm going I'm to pay you and measure you on the output, not how you're doing it, whether you're working in a pair of shorts or, um, you know, whether you're actually dressed up for the occasion. And I'm just hoping that, is, that behavior sticks. Yes, that, that is uh, one of the areas that we're hoping businesses will, will improve on, and that, uh, that does stick. But what is certainly going to happen is that the CEO and the board is going to be looking at the benefits and the drawbacks of the mode of work that we are all in at the moment. And many of them are going to realize that operating in this way and not necessarily working from home so much as remote working can be more productive on the one hand and more cost-effective on the other hand. And when they see the cost reduction of their operations as a result of this uh, mode of work, many organizations are going to rethink their attitude towards bums on seats rather uh, than um, outcomes of projects or assignments. So I, I think that is actually going to be the big shift. Middle management still wants to hold on to their uh, jobs for dear life, but the... Uh, senior executives where the buck stops is going to be looking at the cost benefit. And for some organizations, it's imperative that they go back to physical ways of working. But for many organizations, they've entered a new digital era and it'll be very hard for them to go back. Just to pick up on, on your point there, uh, Doc, because my head was moving into the same space, the issue of, of management and leadership. Um, it, it's relatively relatively easy i should imagine to manage uh, remotely but what what kind of advice uh, Arthur, would you be giving to to companies in terms of setting a leadership kind of ceiling you know managing kpis are relatively easy and you can you can see if somebody's outperforming the kpi but how do you how do you lead from the front when you are distance like this you use the exact right term, which is to lead from the front, and that means leading by example. And that means that the chief executive of any organization has to show that they are as comfortable with using this technology as they expect their staff to be. And not just the CEO, but all executives have to show an incredible level of comfort. So they need to go through intensive training and um, a culture, a, a culturation, I think they call it, um, basically um, acclimatizing themselves to this new culture of work. So it comes natural to them and it looks natural when they are interacting with their uh, teams. And when the people that report to them get the sense that this is natural for our uh, bosses, 
then it almost forces them to embrace it as well as being natural for them. As opposed to a situation that you get in a number of cases, been, there's been quite a, a few anecdotal examples of organizations where the CEO comes online to address the staff and expresses his great displeasure at having to work in this way. That's no way of leading your staff into the digital uh, revolution. Um, you've got to be not excited about it, but certainly comfortable with it. Yeah, that's an interesting point, you know, that uh, you, you have to affirm it up front. I think that's that's intriguing. Just to take a step back as well, the what's intriguing me in this last few days is watching the play out between the old way of, of doing business um, and the new. So it's intriguing that we have this bun fight between PostNet and the uh, the general private delivery, you know, uh, couriers around the country. So we have a circumstance now where it may well be that the Amazons and the taker locks are being forced to use a substandard postal system inherent in PostNet. What's what's the, the feeling about how do we resolve that bricks and mortar versus the, the digital application? You've got Yuppie Ship as another example, flying for years, opens up some bricks and mortar, and now suddenly they've got their backs to the wall. What, how does this play out for the bricks and mortar and the digital business? We, we're going to see the world of e-commerce shift quite dramatically in the coming months. And we're going to, see, going to see it on a few levels. One is from the supply side, the retailers themselves, who are going to have to change the way they operate on a few levels. So starting with the grocery delivery people who on the surface are the big winners of um, the COVID-19 crisis from an e-commerce point of view because there is such massive demand for their services and they can't keep up with it. But the reality beneath the surface is that they're unable to scale up to meet the demand. So you, for example, want to order from Pick and Pay and Woolworths today, you've got a three to four week window that, um, or at least a, a wait before they have a delivery window for you. And that tells you that they haven't been able to scale up. And obviously they haven't been able to scale up because of the complexity of their supply chains. And the reason for that is because you have to maintain what they call the cold chain when you deliver groceries. From the moment a product leaves the fridge or freezer at the supermarket till it arrives in the customer's fridge or freezer at home, it's uh, got to remain chilled. So you need refrigerated trucks for that. Those are expensive and they're complex to uh, get on the road from scratch. So that means it's very difficult to scale up that kind of operation. But when you look at what uh, Take A Lot uh, did in the last few years to address exactly that issue, they bought Mr. Delivery so that they would have a, a nimble, quick and low cost delivery mechanism where from order to uh, fulfillment, you only have a few hours gap, which to some extent addresses the cold chain as well, particularly if you have um, cold boxes in which you are delivering the, uh, the products. So Take A Lot has been uh, ready for this for a long time. Unfortunately, they're not able to fulfill the entire range of products at the moment because of what is deemed essential and what is, isn't. So that's the, the, the first area that um, we're going to see a lot of change. The grocery, uh, the major grocery chains are going to change their um, 
mode of, of operation in terms of supply chain and in terms of uh, fulfillment and uh, delivery uh, window allocation in particular. What has really changed there though is that they have partnered with smaller players who have the capacity and are also agile, like for example, bottle uh, or bottles. The mm-hmm. app that was designed for alcohol uh, delivery has very quickly pivoted to become a grocery delivery service working with Pick and Pay. So you can order from Pick and Pay through the Bottles app. And uh, that introduces a new world of partnerships between the big players and a small, nimble newcomers like that. So uh, there we can already see on two levels the world of e-commerce are changing. The um, next area in terms of the supply chain is those retailers and online retailers who don't have essential goods and have essentially had to uh, shut shop. This gives them an opportunity, in fact, to streamline the operations and to prepare for a a post-crisis world where far more people will be ready to shop online than ever before because of the extent to which grocery uh, deliveries are uh, heavily online-based today, or rather grocery orders are heavily online-based. That means that people who would never have shopped online before suddenly realize how much more convenient um, it is and also cost-effective not to have to drive to the shops, not to have to buy stuff that you didn't plan to buy and so on. So that means far more people um, shopping for far more goods than the online retailers have had to address ever in the past in this country. So that also has to change the way they operate. My argument there is that they're going to have to invest heavily in automated systems, that only the processes that specifically require manual intervention will be manual. The rest all has to be automated. You're listening to The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media. So that's the, that's the e-commerce players themselves. From the consumer side, we have already seen this dramatic shift where people who had never shopped online before are suddenly ordering their groceries online. And uh, not just through the um, websites, but also through the apps and also through WhatsApp. So a lot of small players are offering services uh, for groceries, pharmacy, pharmaceutical products, etc., through WhatsApp ordering. And once you start placing orders via WhatsApp and through apps on your phone, suddenly that opens a whole new world to you. And eventually you find it very hard to go back to the old way of doing things. Yes, you are going to go to the shops. Yes, you are going to buy specific products or want to go touching products or trying things in the store. But generally you've uh, realized that online shopping and app-based shopping works just as well, if not better. So not everyone will, will continue shopping online after this, but a big chunk of those who have started shopping online will continue shopping online. So suddenly there's a big spike in the number of regular online shoppers in this country. Somewhere in there was a small and nimble. Doc, that's your call sign, I think. Yeah, no, look, I think absolutely, Gordon. Hopefully, you know, Arthur and Gordon, hopefully those companies are, are using this time wisely now that they are, I want to use the word retooling, but I mean re, rejigging their operations and that. Um, 
just one of the things, and I think, I guess if you look at the unemployment stats and, and, and we look at that all the time, um, you know, with automation, there's always that fear that that people will be put out of a job and it will be done by a system and etc. So I think one's also got to look at, at, at how to balance that out. You know, I mean, we, we talk now about the COVID virus and we talk about the economic virus in, in South Africa. So I think one's also got to just be careful in terms of how do you bring people back into the into the mainstream of the economy and what job are they going to do, you know? So, and, and Arthur, you also wrote about reskilling. You spoke about uh, online remote learning, uh, etc. So, and I think part of that is is to play into into this area of of employers now using those tools to reskill and upskill people because maybe their old job is going to change. Exactly that. What we're seeing firstly is numerous. Uh, organizations that provide certification for various skills are now doing so online. That bizarre word proctoring, which means invigilating exams, has finally gone online. So a lot of these courses and certifications still demanded physical real-world proctoring, and they've all accepted that 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 world has changed, and they've embraced digital proctoring. So that opens up the possibility for almost any course in any qualification to become digital and online. And what we are also seeing is a lot of organizations taking this time to send their uh, people on courses, but also others opening up their qualifications and their training that previously was a paid for service, even for their own customers, making that free to ensure that their customers can emerge from this being better customers, essentially. So that's, that's from a, a, just a general reskilling point of view. But I think what, what we are also going to see is, is that most organizations that have embraced this era of uh, lockdown to send their, their staff on courses or to um, impose training on their staff are going to treat this as the new normal in the future for skills development, upskilling and training. And we'll probably see that also extend into the general uh, public um, environment where people who are unemployed or um, are being retrenched will be given the opportunity to reskill themselves in these kinds of environments. Giving away my age here, but uh, in my day, proctoring was a fast bowler who, who bowled off the incorrect foot like Mike Proctor, <laughs> but that's another story entirely. So just... One issue that, that's really sitting heavily on me at the moment um, is, is the issue of fake news. I mean, we've done a lot of things right with uh, this digital response to lockdown. Give us some background on, on you know, the depth of, of, of fake news. How far does it go? And, and specifically, one thing which intrigues me is, yeah, and I understand nanotechnology, but how on earth did half the world come to conclude that 5G might be responsible for this whole thing? Well, fake news is what we used to call in the old days hoaxes, lies, and urban legends. So it's uh, quite ironic. I wrote five or six books on urban legends, and the last one of those focused specifically on hoaxes and hysteria. And that actually plays perfectly into the world of COVID-19 fears and hoaxes. One could write an entire book just on that specific uh, topic, and I'm sure many books will be um, written on it. 
But what it speaks to is, firstly, people's need to understand what's really happening in the world, believing that governments um, are lying to them, that the media lies uh, to them. That is helped along tremendously by the likes of the American president who um, takes any criticism of himself and converts it into claims of it being fake news. So that is also uh, given um, a large segment of the public the license almost to reject anything that mainstream media tells them, especially if it's critical of the American president, reject that as fake news. And any time he claims that others are faking the news, people fall for that as well. So that unfortunately muddies the waters tremendously and becomes far more difficult to explain why something is uh, fake news, why it's a hoax. And even the term fake news is one that you almost hesitate to use because you don't want to sound like a, a conspiracist or um, a Trump supporter, for example. And I know there are many out there, probably many listening to this are Trump supporters, but it's not a, a, a good look to be um, rejecting everything as fake news all the time. So that's the, that's the, um, the background to what we have at the moment. Um, the problem is that because there has been uh, or there have been so many missteps and there has been so much disinformation from China with regard to the um, origins and the spread of uh, coronavirus, people are willing to believe any criticism of China now. They're willing to believe that the virus was created in a lab. And you talk to the experts and they'll explain why this virus couldn't have been created in a lab. But when you are, are falling for the narrative of uh, the conspiracists, then you're not going to listen to that kind of nuanced explanation. And that's the real problem with uh, most uh, fake news or trying to debunk uh, fake news and hoaxes is that people don't want to hear nuance. They just want to hear black or white. There's no gray areas. And uh, debunking or rather explaining what's really happening requires tremendous nuance. But then you come to the really absurd um, hoaxes like 5G caused coronavirus. That's not even a nuanced issue. Radio waves cannot transmit viruses. So it is so blatantly uh, fake, such a blatant hoax, that it is one of those beliefs that actually separates uh, the idiots from uh, the rest. And the, the rest of us might also um, have a fair proportion of idiots among us. But this is one of the areas where you can very clearly identify the idiots. So from that point of view, I find it very useful, um, in fact. It's like the people um, who believe the Earth is uh, flat. And I actually had a, a Facebook um, connection or someone wanting to be my Facebook friend who I discovered was an avid flat earth believer. And when I challenged her on this, she became quite abusive about me falling for um, the fake narratives of the governments and the like. But it was useful for me because uh, that meant I didn't even have to debate whether to be a Facebook friend um, or not. She made the decision for me. And I feel the same about uh, two other categories of people. One, uh, this new category of people who believe 5G causes coronavirus, and the other is the anti-vaxxers, because the whole anti-vaxxing movement started from a faked um, um, medical uh, paper that has been 
widely proved to have been false and the person responsible for it has admitted it um, as well. And yet people will not do their research, they will not look back into uh, history and they will not allow anyone to point them to uh, the evidence. And all of those are, are evidence of people who are simply idiots. And I'm sorry, it's not a scientific term, but it should be. Um, and uh, th they do us the favor of telling us who we should be avoiding actively. I think uh, while Doc is just reflecting on a question there, we, we're getting to wrap up time. Um, you, you've made reference to a, a massive oeuvre of, of, of your work. What's the best way for, for somebody to get hold of you or to plug into your body of work as a, a, a website somewhere, what's the best way to contact you? Um, probably the best is to follow my online magazine, Gadget, gadget.co.za. Uh, also, to follow me on Twitter. Twitter is where I tend to share my random thoughts, but also I share the research that we conduct uh, first on Twitter before anywhere else. And then on LinkedIn, and uh, LinkedIn is becoming my favorite uh, platform because it's becoming more and more versatile. One of the things I've done on LinkedIn, just by the way, is I've created a, a LinkedIn group called Facing the Webcam, which is geared to um, extending the media training that we do for, uh, for executives facing the camera uh, and, and the, uh, the, the microphone for radio interviews. That training has evolved into virtual media training which we call facing the webcam. And it's really uh, teaching people how to participate in Skype interviews. You've seen those Skype interviews where it looks like you're looking up someone's nostril um, and that kind of thing. But also how to, how to present webinars, how to be a participant in webinars, and how to handle teleconferences. So we made a video um, with um, a, one of our favorite um, uh, people, Richard Fieron, I don't know if you remember him from the tech world, but he participated with us in a couple of training videos where we show what goes wrong in video conferences and in Skype interviews. And all of that can be accessed uh, in this LinkedIn group called Facing the Webcam. And we'll be updating the resources in there quite uh, regularly. We hope for it to be fun as well, not just, uh, look, this is what uh, people are doing badly and this is how they should do it. It's also hopefully entertaining for the user. Great. Arthur, you got, you got any points? Yeah, thanks, uh, Gordon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Arthur. You know, as we're going to wrap up, and Gordon, I'll leave you to do the wrap uh, today if you don't mind. I just want to say, Arthur, thanks again for your time. Um, we really do appreciate it. We appreciate your, your views on, on the world, uh, and, and we can all learn so much from that. Uh, certainly, uh, Facebook, Cam, you invited me. I've accepted that. I'm on LinkedIn with you. For our listeners out there, please get involved. You know, Arthur is an absolute expert at this. So he's got the, you've got the opportunity of dialoguing with him now. Uh, take up that, as Gordon and I always say, this isn't about 30 minutes of, of great chat. Um, it's about 30 minutes of great chat and then legs thereafter. So please get involved, get a hold of Arthur, share your views um, and be part of the narrative. Again, from my side, Arthur, I'm going to drop off. I'm going to leave it to Gordon to wrap up, but thanks again for your time. I really appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Thank you. Really appreciate that. Thanks, Doc. Just, uh, Arthur, then, you know, sort of one final wrap-up question. Um, I've noticed, I think, in, early on in April, for instance, Google 
uh, have slap controls. I won't even take video content on the 5G conspiracy now. WhatsApp, I think, put uh, controls in place for uh, excessively forwarded messaging along the same sort of fake news theme. What, looking back now, and we aren't quite at the point where we get to look back in its entirety, but looking back, what, what, what have we learned? What, will there be controls? Do we need controls? Do we need less control? Uh, you know, what, what, what's your view on this uh, looking back, you know, still with a couple of weeks to go? It's, it's an important point uh, you raise. I think one of the things we're learning is uh, that there has to be responsibility. And we're learning that from the top down to the very bottom. The guy who put up a, a, a video on social media claiming that coronavirus testing kits were contaminated and now faces a spell in jail. That was a, a, a real lesson to the rest of us about our personal responsibility in uh, spreading misinformation. But it goes all the way to the biggest organizations in the world, like Facebook, for example. Facebook, I've regularly criticized for the fact that although they have fact-checking organizations working with them to flag fake news, they will not actually ban or drop that uh, news or those stories from their platform. They'll simply downrank it because their argument is they want to leave it to the user um, to judge for themselves. But they themselves have actually paid organizations to validate the fact that these stories are fake. So they have a responsibility not to disseminate them and not to collaborate in disseminating them. And that's what the COVID-19 crisis has taught both Facebook and Google. Google suddenly is, is, is acting with far greater alacrity than ever before in taking down conspiracy uh, videos. And uh, Facebook um, is starting to understand that their laissez-faire approach to fake news has to change as well. Arthur, thank you so much. As always, incredibly enlightening. And Thanks, uh, just urge everybody to uh, follow on gadget.co.za and also to pick up on the face in the webcam and uh, on Twitter as well. Doc, thank you once again. Yeah, please. Um, I have a website, artagoldstuck.com, which is for my speaking. It's actually one of my uh, more um, intense activities uh, presenting my uh, views to audiences around the world. But uh, one of the videos that's on that site is a TEDx talk I gave a few years ago that's entitled, Disruption Will Always Be With Us. And although that video is now three or four years old, it's actually a great example of how disruption is not new, disruption will always be with us. And COVID-19 is actually one of the greatest examples of disruption we've ever seen. But disruption is not new. Arthur, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening in to the Doc and Guru podcast. And we will chat to you again next week. Take care, everyone. And so that was another episode of the Doc and the Guru. Please don't uh, forget to get a hold of us on Facebook. Like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond, and hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc, and it's uh, Gordon Miller, the guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media, and I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word, this is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo, and we'd love to have 
some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry.